everyone. My name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 13th of November. Our theme for this week is based on some words of Jesus which relate to the end of the world. Or maybe not, he said cryptically. I couldn't resist starting with the song you've just heard by Skeeter Davis called The End of the World. We'll also be thinking about remembrance and we will be ending with a sonnet about remembrance set to music by Gerald Finzi, one of the perhaps unsung heroes of 20th century English music. Some notices. This Sunday's 10.30am on-site service will include an act of remembrance at 11 o'clock. There will be separate activities for children and all are welcome. Cards for Good Causes are now selling Christmas cards in our green room the entrance via the door at the back of the car park. They will be open from 10 till 4, Monday to Saturday, until the week before Christmas. And one of the reasons for buying cards from there, apart from the fact that the proceeds go to charity, is the percentage of the proceeds will go to our church funds as well. And now our call to worship. We carry with us the remembrances of disasters, large and small, global and local, national and personal. Each in its way changes our world forever. As we gather on Remembrance Sunday, may we lay all our losses before God, trusting that we will be led to new life and fresh hope for the future.
God of all ages, trusting in the light of your love, trusting in the permanence of your peace, trusting in the strength of your security, trusting in the promises of your kingdom, we bring you our prayers. Remembering those we love, those we miss, and those whose lives are a struggle. God of yesterday, today and tomorrow, when our world is falling apart and we turn away from you, forgive us and help us to trust you. When the whole world is being torn apart and we despair, forgive us and help us to trust you. When the whole universe is out of kilter and we fear the worst, forgive us and help us to trust you. Help us to stand firm, speak truth and serve you today and tomorrow in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, though your words are sometimes tough, you are gentle with us as we grapple with their meaning. Though the world is divided in so many ways, you would unite us. Though it sometimes seems as if our lives can't be mended, you give us hope, reassuring us that our world and our lives are in your hands, always. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 21, beginning at verse 5. Some of Jesus' disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? He replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and saying, The time has come. But don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me, so don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives and friends, will betray you. They will even kill some of you, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. As we move towards Advent, readings from the Old Testament become particularly important. Today's Old Testament reading, to be read as parallel to the reading from Luke chapter 21, comes from Malachi chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evil doer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. These words are on the very last page of the first part of our Bible. 
The book of Malachi is the last of the books of the twelve prophets. And the prophet spoke God's words to his people at around 450 BC. Malachi tells us about a time when life had become settled for Israel. The people had returned from exile in Babylon. The temple had been rebuilt and they were living peacefully under a benign Persian ruler. In a sense, they were riding on cruise control, sunglasses on, arm out the window. In another sense, they were in deep trouble because the people seemed oblivious of the fact that they were travelling down a dead-end street. We might think that having lived for years either in exile or under the threat of exile, Israel deserved a spot of time in the sun. However, there is a reason that creative tension is said to be creative, and without the tension of the threat of invasion and exile, Israel was slipping into decline. Malachi was preaching at a time when the previous generation who'd rebuilt the temple had gone, and their high hopes for a new world order had gone with it. Israel was becalmed, and voices calling them back to the faith of old had not been heard for some time. He spoke of faith to a people who had become indifferent to its practice. Malachi was faced with questions concerning Israel's place in God's plan and the whole idea of justice in God's world. Malachi was not as concerned with the end of the world as some of those who came before and after him. But he did speak about the future and about someone who would come from God and who would prepare the way for his Messiah. Having said Malachi was less concerned about the end times, those verses that I read earlier are about just that. The people had seen how the wicked and arrogant had seemed to prosper, and so they thought, why not? They had turned away from the faith and practices of old. They had muddled the distinction between good and evil, and they had turned away from God. But God never abandons that distinction, which is eternally the criterion between what is and what is not acceptable to God. Though the people of Malachi's day might have thought otherwise, God was still present in their world and his judgment on their behaviour was to be feared. See, he writes, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when the, all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The days that come shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Malachi's message acted as a warning to those who turned their backs on God and as an encouragement to those who'd kept their faith despite the discouragement they saw in the world around them. Not only will the righteous be vindicated, but the wicked will get their just deserts. They will be trodden on like ashes under the feet of the righteous. Malachi could be said to have paved the way for the reforms that took place under Ezra and Nehemiah at the end of the 5th century. But after Ezra and Nehemiah, nothing. With the probable exception of the book of Daniel, after Malachi, Ezra and Nehemiah, the Old Testament ends. It's just darkness. At the end of the Old Testament, Israel drove off into the darkness. As far as the Bible is concerned, Israel just disappeared off the radar. That's not to say that there is no religious writing between the Testaments. The Roman Catholic Bible includes some of these writings in what we call the Apocrypha. 
Other writings are written in the genre that is called apocalypse. Behind this literature lay people who had given up on this world in the belief that it was irredeemably rotten and that its end would come when God would come as judge. The now less common name for the book of Revelation is the Apocalypse, as in the Four Horsemen of. And the clue to the meaning of the older world is in its replacement. An apocalypse is a revelation, and specifically in this sort of literature and the movements behind them, an opening of the clouds covering heaven to enable the eyes of those on earth to see. The period in which Luke was writing and the period in which Jesus lived were times when people were looking to the skies for the end of days. And this is the background to our New Testament passage. Luke tells us that from his arrival in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus went every day to the temple to teach. The temple was an impressive sight covered with plates of gold that brilliantly reflected the sun. While he was speaking, Jesus caught sight of someone admiring the detail of the temple. Anyone who has visited it in Barcelona couldn't fail to be impressed by Gaudi's Sagrada Familia, and so we can perhaps appreciate the pilgrims' distracted gawping while Jesus was preaching. Jesus responded by telling his listeners that there would come a time when this building, which covered an area equivalent to more than 30 football pitches and with walls that varied in height from 50 to 120 metres, would be destroyed, and it would be so utterly destroyed that not one stone will be left standing on another. The people who heard Jesus were understandably shocked. When would this happen? They asked Jesus. There's no suggestion that these people feared that the building was going to fall down any time soon on top of them. The way in which Jesus answered them suggests that they believed that the destruction of the temple would be part of what was known as the last days. But Jesus said that this was not the case. What Jesus said to these people who hoped that God would soon come to judge the world was that if you think things are tough now, they're going to get tougher and the end of the world is a long way off yet. Jesus was saying to the people in the temple that if they see signs that point to a breakdown of law and order, then this means that law and order is breaking down. It doesn't mean that the world was coming to an end. Jesus said that in the future, people would come alleging that they had come from God. Watch out for the doomsday deceivers. Don't believe them. People will say, I'm the one. Have none of it. Don't fall for this nonsense. When you hear of wars and uprisings, keep your head. Don't panic. This is routine history and the end is not in sight. I like that interpretation of what Jesus said. This is routine history. And history is littered with wars and uprisings, and on reason alone, if not by revelation, wars and uprisings are no predictor of the end of time. I remember when I was a teenager, back in the 1970s, Battle for Israel was a popular book amongst young Christians. The author looked at the situation in the Middle East and saw signs that suggested that this was a new phase in God's involvement in world history. I took it quite seriously at the time, but the passage of time has proved the truth in Jesus' words. Nations will fight nation and rulers will fight ruler over and over and over again. There will be earthquakes and yes, there will be famines. And at times you'll believe that the sky is falling down around you. This will be the end of the temple, but it will not be the end of the world. 
While it would not be the end of the world, it isn't hard to understand why some people might have thought that this is what Jesus was describing. He was using some of the language that the Old Testament used when its prophets described the last days. The language of famine, earthquakes and nation rising up against nation were essential parts of the toolbox for any self-respecting apocalyptic prophet. So for Jesus to have used this sort of language would have raised as many fears as it might have allayed. But this language was also the language of the prophets who described the struggles of Israel long before the exile and of Isaiah in an oracle directed against the Ethiopians long since a spent force among the nations. It was also the language that a Jewish historian used when he described after the event the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem when it was besieged and destroyed by the Romans. But Jesus then turned the clock back and warned of what would happen before these signs that the temple's days were numbered. There'll be no place of safety. Blood will not be thicker than water. Here there are chilling comparisons to be made with Nazi Germany or the communist bloc in the last century in children betraying their parents. Parents, siblings, children or friends, you'll not be certain that you can trust any of them. You'll be arrested, hunted down, dragged into court, be thrown into jail. It will be a dog-eat-dog world, and you'll be made to stand up for me. Jesus said that not a hair on their heads would be harmed. But this is after having said that some of them would be killed. So how do we reconcile these verses? Two possibilities exist. One is that Jesus is saying what Paul repeated in his letter to the Roman Christians, which was that nothing, including the worst that Jews or Gentiles could dish out, and even death itself, can separate us from the love of God. In other words, what was being described was the Christian's security in eternal life, although not in this life. You may face death, but you will not perish. Another alternative is that Jesus was using a proverbial expression, as in his earlier teaching back in Galilee. There he asked, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. But even the hairs on your head are counted. Don't be afraid, you are of more value than many sparrows. This isn't a pedantic point, as it actually goes to the heart of the message of the passage. Jesus has already said, look, if you see bad things happening, don't be surprised, because bad things happen. Things might be tough now, but they're going to get tougher. And don't be surprised if knowing me and saying that you know me brings you a whole load of grief. Most of you will come through, but some of you won't. But not one of you is forgotten in God's sight. Every one of the hairs on every one of your heads are counted. Another reading of that verse is, every detail of your body and soul, even the hairs on your head, is in God's care. Nothing of you will be lost. Being in God's care doesn't free us from the pain of living. It doesn't free us from seeing bad things happen in our own world. Being in God's care doesn't put us above either the law of the land or the laws of physics. Don't spiritualise the things of this world. Bad things happen to good people and good people sometimes do bad things. If a car crash claims a young victim, it's because of mechanical failure or human error. It's not because God wanted a beautiful flower for his garden or that he needed another angel. 
Jesus' response to the bystanders who were admiring the temple is a reminder that nothing lasts forever and that none of us knows what awaits us around the corner. The temple, so magnificent and so solidly constructed, would in the lifetime of those who heard Jesus be destroyed. Jesus would be executed and few of his closest followers were destined to die in their beds. But they were all in God's care. Bad things might happen, but you are in God's care and he knows you. He knows every part of you. Whenever I read apocalyptic writing, I find it hard not to remember Marty Feldman, and I've mentioned this on countless occasions before. Many years ago, he performed a sketch in which he played a hellfire preacher, becoming more and more excited as he described all manner of awful plagues, floods, earthquakes. Then suddenly he recovered his composure and became extremely calm and said, but on Wednesday the weather should clear up and we'll have a fine day. This is not what Jesus says. But having warned of all that would happen to those who keep faith in him, he promises that those who stay with him won't be sorry. They will be saved. They will be safe. Just like those who were with Jesus in the first century, we too live in the last days, the days of the kingdom of God that Christ brought in. The first century was a tough time, but it was routine history. We too might have tough times, but that is routine history too. We may live through wars, insurgencies and all the various conflicts that will be remembered today, but staying with it, that's what's required. You may face death, but you will not perish. You will be saved. You will be safe. There's a simple story that illustrates the need for us to desist from looking for signs and focus on doing the work of God's kingdom today. A man had a plot of land that had become a wilderness of thistles and thorns. He decided to cultivate it and said to his son, go and clear that ground. But when the son went to clear it, he saw that the thistles and thorns had multiplied. He thought, how much time should I need to clear and weed all this? And, and he lay on the ground instead and went to sleep. And he did this day after day. When his father found him doing nothing, the son explained his discouragement and the father replied, son, if you'd cleared each day the area on which you lay down, your work would have advanced slowly and you would not have lost heart. The son did what his father said and in a short time the plot was cultivated. It's easier to see Christianity as a form of insurance policy, but Jesus seems to say, forget about your end as well as the end times. I'm not sure how long it could take to cultivate our earth, our own plot, even with the grace of God. I'm sure, however, that it's our responsibility to do what we can on what we sometimes call our front line as we witness to the gospel, a gospel of peace and healing. And then if we're willing to accept that the ground must be dug up locally, one kindness, one intervention at a time, we then cast a quiet vote for the world that God loves the world that God embraces. Amen.
Let us pray. Lord, even you predicted that this world would be a place torn apart by war. As we remember all those who fell in the two world wars and all the conflicts since, we come humbly to you acknowledging our part in discord, disharmony, disagreement and discouragement. We ask for your forgiveness. We pray for the places currently in conflict in our world, Ukraine, Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan and many parts of Africa. We pray for our armed forces as they seek to keep the peace in very challenging circumstances. And we pause to remember all who've fallen while fighting for their country. Take heart, Jesus says. Stand firm and you will win life. Lord, we remember that you also warned us of natural disasters. And we pray for those suffering the effects of flooding in Pakistan and cyclones in Central America that have wiped out livelihoods. We pray for those who are displaced because of the changing climate and have nowhere to call home. We continue to lift up our world leaders at the COP27 conference, asking that you will help them avert further disaster to our climate by behaving with integrity and compassion, putting aside all greed and discord. Take heart, Jesus says, stand firm and you will win life. Lord, we know that your followers are not immune to pain and trouble. We pause to pray now for all those we know who are suffering from pain, sickness, fear, anxiety, sorrow or any other trouble. We seek your comfort for them and for ourselves, knowing that you are a God of compassion and endless love. We also remember that you are a God of victory who promised that you had overcome the world. And so we ask you to give us good memories, to help us focus on the times in our lives when you brought us peace in our distress, answers to hard questions, solace in our pain. We know that your perfect love can drive out our fear, so we ask you to give us the courage to seek out that love when we are struggling. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness throughout our lives. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Take heart, Jesus says, stand firm and you will win life. Lord, we offer the week ahead to you and ask that you will walk before us into it. Teach us how to hold firmly onto your guiding hand so that we are not swayed by the ways of the world. Enable us to grow in grace and love this week, bringing your peace into every difficult situation we may face. Lord, help us to stand firm in your love and faithfulness and follow you with determination, knowing that you are always beside us, loving and guiding us. Help us to take heart and stand firm and walk closely with you. Amen. Well, I'm thinking of wet streets and pubs to glow But a gun and a night sight is all that I own Don't you take any bets on me getting home And I'm dreaming of Swansea tonight Yes, I'm dreaming of Swansea tonight 
white hollers and MOD men ultra fast. Whilst we crouch and we study the effects of anthrax. Don't forget the Sierra is Jewett's vortex. And I'm dreaming of Swansea tonight. Yes, I'm dreaming of Swansea land. Yes, I'm dreaming of Swansea. Does the system still leak? And we slept in these same bloody suits for a week. We're fluent, we're tutored in the military speak. But it seems like the sky's been on fire all week. And I want to cry out in Swansea La 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 And the tabloid boys own war of three straight weed Does the right of our scared lads when describing our feet And I'd love to be with you just ironing the sheets And hold you in Swansea tonight I'm dreaming of Glasgow tonight You know I'm dreaming of Stratton tonight yeah.
Our last piece of music is called Farewell to Arms, and it's a setting by Gerald Finzi of a 16th century sonnet. But first, a final prayer. In a world still torn by conflicts, send us out as makers of peace. In a world of destruction, send us out as menders and builders. In a world of hurt, send us out as healers. Where worlds are ending, send us out with faith in new beginnings. Amen. But